What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Your source for big gun talk, it's off tackle Empire. Welcome to the Blocking Charge Cast, an off tackle Empire production. We join you fairly late in the season uh, with some good news and some bad news. Uh, the good news is, after all these years, we have finally stumbled across what seems to be a pretty stable, uh, reliable fix for our long-tenured audio issues. The bad news is we're getting canceled next week. Um, <laughs> we couldn't make it up if we tried, folks. It, yeah, no, so, so. <laughs> it's it's very interesting that our corporate or overlords, in their infinite wisdom, have decided to cancel all of their college sports podcasts two weeks before March Madness. Like, just keep us on an extra month and get the best traffic you've done since football season. Well, you know, I, I just... I understand where they're coming from because presumably there are lots of folks who like they hear about the NCAA tournament and they're like, "What even is that? I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. Why I, specifically? Would ever... I don't know how to watch the NCAA tournament. Odds, streaming, predictions. Those are things <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, man. am Steve Braun. I go by Thumpasaurus around certain internets, and I am joined remotely because I mean. We've we've tr- we've been trying to do this blocking charge cast, uh, Big Ten basketball review and March preview for like at least a week now. Uh, all sorts of complications have happened from a, a quarantine situation I'm in now to you know schedules not lining up to uh, Andrew, of course, being a new father. Whereas would, on the other argue, hand, I would argue it's been a little bit over a month. I first outlined for this like we were we were not timely. Don't get me wrong. The fatherhood thing was definitely, like, I could not manage this and the football stuff during the football season when I had a brand new, brand new baby. Meanwhile, I'm over here, like, Iowa, the last two games. Uh, I'm missing everything, but I gotta keep shooting, man. Sooner or later, I'm gonna I'm gonna swish one. <laughs> so, I honestly don't remember the full series of events that prevented us from recording starting like late january that was about because again like i when i came back and had to update the outline it was like oh man i was writing this like four games into the conference season and now there's like three or four games left in the conference season yeah it's funny i saw something about indiana being disappointing yeah well they stopped they (laughs) fell flat on their faces out of the gate and then studied themselves pretty well but i mean that was in the context of preseason expectations where they were the runaway pick to win the big 10 nobody else picked anybody else to win well, and that's so, Andrew Krzyzewski, and I am about 100 minutes from a basketball game that I am dreading. But we're also going to try to record the football farewell and finale tonight. So, let's get to it. We're going to go team by team, and we're going to try desperately to keep me on track. I've had my medications adjusted recently. I think I can do this this time. 
If I'm ever going to do it, it's going to be tonight. As I pour myself a Red Brisk 12-year cask strength, a whiskey I discovered through Off-Tackle Empire. And I continue to drink water, being the teetotaler I am. Uh, I honestly barely drink at all anymore. Um, my wife doesn't drink. It's not generally much fun to drink alone, especially now that there's a baby judging everything that I do. And she has some very judgmental expressions, considering she doesn't know what things are for the most part. But, you know. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to go right in order here. I know the best way to keep my Illini partner on track, and that is by starting with Illinois. Coming into the season, a roster that was totally rebuilding on the fly, a, a grand total of what, two play- I mean, Coleman Hawkins and a couple of wings who barely played back from last year's very talented team picked up some very good transfers, an incredible recruiting class, and we've kind of seen that play out in different ways over the course of the season. The ups and the downs, I mean, loaded with talent. So you see early season wins against Texas and UCLA, which is now in the top five balanced with an embarrassing loss to a much-hated Missouri team and an 0-3 start in the conference. And then you have the mid-season drama with Sky Clark. A lot of stuff has happened. Things have kind of quieted down the last few weeks. So, ahead of the harrowing matchup tonight with the Northwestern tournament bound because it is the year, I can make you say it, MN Wildcat. I'm going to make that dirty little mouth admit it sooner or later. Ahead of that matchup with the Wildcats, how is your mental state regarding your fighting Illini? I have put a lot of money on Northwestern money line for this one, and it just keeps going up, even as Terrence Shannon Jr. is almost certainly not going to play because he's still in concussion protocol. Now, uh, that being said, the main reason is not because I think Northwestern is definitely going to win. It's because, again, I often do these emotional hedges. I'm either going to... Win a bu- basically, I'm either either going to get this win that we so desperately need against a, a a team that I really hate losing to at home, especially, or, you know, did college basketball hurt your feelings? You may be entitled to financial compensation. The uh, the if the, and only if you set it up. <laughs> if a, uh, drying your tears with a wad of hundred dollar bills, indeed. Always. So they started <laughs> off the year by providing me with. Uh, what what could be the greatest uh, you know basketball moment I've had as an Illini fan like in person except maybe being at the NCAA tournament with the basketball band when they won a game um, when they took on still number four UCLA in Las Vegas and uh, came back from a ten point deficit in the second half to win and then they somehow stumbled their way to an overtime win against Texas in Madison Square Garden and then of course they came out against Missouri and just decided not to play and. Then their next three Power 5 games, they, they didn't get blown away by Maryland, but never really seriously competed. And then they got blasted at home by Penn State, and they went on to they went to Northwestern, got called for 29 fouls, and Brad Underwood gave up yelling. It was so bad. He, he, he'd finally used up all of his yelling um, at that point. And it was a 10-point game, but that's not how it actually went. It was... Some letting off the gas at the end, some open threes Illinois made. It was just a, a terrible effort. And at that point, with three Big Ten losses in a row, starting 0-3, the vibes were just unbelievably cursed. It was legitimately like, oh my god, is this going to go so far off the rails that Brad Underwood is not is, is maybe not in our future plans? Um, well, then five-star point guard Sky Clark left the program. 
which left us without a lot of options because part of Sky Clark's conditions to coming to Illinois were you can't take that transfer guard that might provide some backup minutes at point guard. I can't remember who it was, but be one of the few upperclassmen we have. Um, then they won at Wisconsin, and they've kind of been, you know, I guess it's hard to say up and down because they've been very consistent. They've, except for Penn State, they've beaten all the teams below them in the standings and lost all the teams above them in the standings. Did um, we ever get more detail? And, and maybe it came out at the time, and I just don't remember it. It feels like it was an eternity ago because, again, when you have a baby, time moves in very strange ways. What exactly was it that happened with Clark that caused him to just leave the team? You know, anything that I could say would just be rumors and hearsay. That being said, I have heard some rumors. You know, he said it was a mental health thing. He was stepping away from basketball, and and, uh, he does seem to be at some kind of camp right now, so I guess he feels a basketball Jones coming on again. And whenever I search for him on Twitter, I mostly see uh, either, you know... The weird kind of Illini fan, like, you know, wishing him luck whenever he posts. And a bunch of, like, Kentucky and Louisville fans being like, oh, my God, we're going to get Sky Clark. It's like, okay, sure. (laughs) I hope you get the Sky Clark that we got at the beginning of the year. Well, you know, you can't possibly make Louisville any worse. (laughs) Oh, my God, have they been awful, and I love it. That's Uh, absolutely true. So, uh, Jaden Epps has kind of stepped up into that position. Uh, There's just such a lack of experience on this team. Um Dane Danger, who's just got my favorite name in the history of college basketball, has been a really dependable post weapon, but uh, unfortunately he's been figured out on defense, and, and one of the things is he just always misses the help in the lane. Like, he, he's just not going to come off his guy to stop somebody from getting to the lane. And when you play, the, you play center, that is a big problem. That's why you see guys just go down the lane because they they get around somebody they they take a screen at the top of the key and danger is just not aware that there's somebody coming in you know he's got some eligibility left so there's certainly a lot of room for improvement i love his footwork on the offensive end but <laughs> trace jackson davis exploited that for 35 points so the other thing is illinois really really likes to shoot threes and is not very good at it uh, they are actually the best shooting team in the conference from inside the three-point line. They just, um, I don't know, they really like the three. Well, all right, uh, Coleman so... Hawkins has been so up and down, and his draft stock has kind of slipped a bit. But, uh, hey, he's been decent for a few games in a row now, and, you know... Uh, the, the the tournament can be a real you know can have a real multiplier effect as far as what everything you do there does for your draft. Like if he goes off in the tournament somehow leads Illinois on a deep run, then he's absolutely gone. He's going to get drafted. But that being said, yeah, the Illini have are are twenty and eleven. I guess if they get into the tournament with this, you know, I said it last year. If they get into the tournament with this team that has virtually nobody returning. It'll be good enough, right? I mean, it'll be, uh, on one hand, kind of an accomplishment to to take this team that basically never played together. On the other hand, like, boy, is this team loaded with uh, highly sought-after recruits and transfers. Uh, so if the Illini should win tonight, that will virtually lock them into the field. If they don't, they'll have to win out 
Um, well, they won't have to win out. They'll just need to beat one, beat Ohio State and Michigan, which they could probably do. But boy, it would really help if they put away Northwestern, especially because I've heard that they might get Penn State in the Big Ten tournament if they uh, you know, go two and two over the last uh, two four games here, and Penn State just ha- it has an elemental type advantage over Illinois. So my approximate guess for Illinois would be something like a seven seed, which would mean a tough road to get out of the first weekend. You're likely going to end up against a two in the second round. I would say a loss to a team, well, Houston's probably going to be a one seed. So that's the type of team that I could see running into and losing to. Well, and there also is still, you know, the the, the thing where like Kelvin Sampson, uh, you know, stealing Eric Gordon is kind of what led to Bruce Weber's like slow dim eyes in recruiting and so that's you know the ncaa loves their storylines but i think i think it'll be even better because you know who else is in that eight to ten range bruce pearl yeah auburn yeah man it's uh you know sooner or later they're gonna do it to us but uh it's still a better team than than uh every john gross team but the first one that where he inherited uh bruce weber team uh by a pretty good margin we'll return some production next year and see if some experience in chemistry can help Sure. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. We'll be fine. It, it's the, the only reason for disappointment is just knowing what I knew at the time that like I've seen the high point and it ends in the round of thirty two somehow. Right? We're never going to have a team that good. Now we could go to the final four with a team that was not as good as that one because that was such a good team. But <laughs> that's kind of the reason for. Um, losing some perspective on this it still hurts well we got to keep moving here because we've got 13 other teams to get through so indiana as we mentioned picked as gen as probably the consensus preseason favorite to win the conference they played themselves a much tougher non-conference than they than they have in recent years and so they picked up kind of blowout losses to arizona and kansas those have aged pretty well so it's not that big of a problem but they also started one and three in the conference including a loss that at the time looked pretty ugly to Northwestern that's ended up not being such a big problem. And they've studied themselves, but really injuries of the season-ending variety to Xavier Johnson and of the those like five to six week type to race Thompson thinned them out way too much. Um, Trace Jackson Davis would be your conference player of the year if Zach Eady had not had an All-American turn, but he just can't do it all by himself. Um, he's also a pretty bad shooter, both from deep and at the line. So he's a very good college player, but of the with flaws of the type that are relatively easy to exploit with a good game plan. Um, other than that, they've gotten about what you would hope for out of uh, blue chip freshman point guard and Jalen Hood Scafino. He may well be heading to the draft, though. So. I get, you know, I'm, I wonder what Indiana fans think of in terms of this being a season. I mean, I got like a, they were supposed to win the conference pretty easily. They're securely in the tournament. Like, that's not a problem. They're almost... I, I kind of disagree with that assessment that they're, because I thought there was a lot of uncertainty. Like, Indiana seemed like the surest bet. Yeah, they were, oh, because... yeah. they were picked because, as we said, previewing every team last year, everybody else was losing almost everything. <laughs> like, there was yeah. huge turnover across the league. And they had, again, 
Jackson Davis coming back, a couple of known quantities around him. That seemed like, yeah, they were probably going to be, I believe they might have been the only Big Ten team that was ranked by the AP coming into the season. I think Illinois was ranked, actually. I can't say that I because I know that they were. I know that they were ranked in Vegas. But Mm. uh, one thing that does have me feeling a little better about tonight uh, is that remembering how Purdue had this feeling when they played Northwestern, like they were about to lock up the conference. And then, oh, and then Indiana is like, oh, my God, an opening. We could win the comp. Oh, now, Illinois, we currently don't feel very good about ourselves as, as, as Illinois. So Northwestern can't, you know, pop any balloons there. Anyway, back to our preview for Indiana here for the remainder of the season. Um, what are you thinking? So the last three games remaining here, um, road trip to Purdue and then home games against Iowa and Michigan. Uh, Purdue's a tough one, but you, you know, the what's the first thing you need to stand up to the Boymakers? You need a big who is a two-way player, capable of defending without fouling. Indiana has that, so they've got as good of a chance of winning that as anyone would. Iowa kind of depends. I mean, like, Iowa can't continue shooting the three as badly as they have been the last couple of weeks. Sooner or but later. it'd be really funny if they did. It'd be really funny if they did. I would love for it to continue at least through Saturday. Um, but assuming that sooner or later Iowa will not just be missing all the threes they take, that get, I mean, Iowa's a little bit of a random number generator in my view. And then Michigan, again, like as talented as any team in the conference, but that game is in Bloomington. I would hope that you win there. I think Indiana's still got a decent shot as a four seed, which would ensure they get reason. They get they're supposed to get prefer preferential seeding in the first matchup or in the first. Don't they call that a protected seed? Yeah. Yeah, so you want that if you can get it. They've got a reasonable shot to get it. Probably not. I, I still don't think anyone's going to catch Purdue, although the Boilermakers have now opened the door. Um, and in terms of their postseason fate, again, the problem Indiana has is they've really only got two guys who consistently shoot the three, um, and Miller Cop's not all that good. Is capable of being a, a just dead weight from deep. and they So if he shows up and makes shots... They could easily make the Sweet 16. It would not surprise me if they once again get ejected. Like, their postseason fortune in recent memory has been absolutely terrible. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then there's going to be a lot of season, questions this offseason. You know, Jackson Davis could actually come back for another year if he felt like it. I assumed, I was like, he's got to be done. Like, even with a COVID year, this has to, but no. No, he could come back if he felt like it. But they will. I don't think he will because he's he's starting to get first-round buzz. 
I can't. I don't believe that though. I don't believe that for a second because he can't shoot. And if he can't shoot, like there's nothing about his game. Like, yes, he has gotten incrementally better in all the other aspects of his game over the course of his time in Bloomington. But if you can't shoot, they won't play you in the NBA. You just clog the lane and you screw up what modern offense does. So I, first round buzz from who? I don't buy it. I just don't. Um, and that's not to say that coming back would necessarily be a good thing because what else is he going to do in another year that he hasn't already done? But it's a thing where it's like, he is he going to play another year in Bloomington? Where he, he's <laughs> There's been some kind of high-profile hate mail from fans even earlier this season because he didn't play through an injury. Um, or would he rather go and start a career in Europe? If the, I, Again, I just don't believe the NBA buzz. I think he's a second-round pick if he goes. Because the other thing is, <laughs> if you were to take a guy like him based mostly on athletic traits and everything, you would rather take a 19 or 20-year-old. He's been in college for several years already, and that costs you NBA draft stock. It just does. So first-round buzz, I don't believe it. I don't buy it, not for a second. Not to, I mean, not to down his game or anything. Like He's a really good college player. He's, he's basically he's what you want in a college player. You either want a very good athletic big who cannot shoot worth a lick, or you want a point guard who's just a little bit too short to be appealing to the NBA. Like Cassius Winston is what I'm saying. Um, those are the guys that you want to build a college team around, the guys who are not quite good enough to be gone after one season, uh, but are still extremely good players. So anyway, he could come back. He might not, but Race Thompson, Xavier Johnson, Miller Cop, those guys are all done. They're out of eligibility. And uh, Jalen Hood-Scapino likely going to the draft himself. So that's like most of their production. It's like it's like Jackson Davis and then there's like Jordan Geronimo and um, oh, the guy with the floppy Bama bangs. Ah, his name escapes me. Well, even so, uh, Woodson's proven that he can get some pretty decent players in here. Um, the, the, the freshmen are doing him a lot of favors as far as the perception of the uh, short-term, long-term future of the program. Uh, I think this is a Sweet 16 team, and uh, Mike Woodson has been extremely legit. Um, I mean, I, this this was a pretty good hire. We said there was certainly the possibility that this was a very good hire. There were just some some unknown things, but what was a known quantity was that this man is the greatest to watch chewing. I mean, Mike <laughs> Woodson chew. Mike Woodson is the best at chewing. I didn't know you could be good at chewing until I saw Mike Woodson do it. Well, and it's also like, you know, nothing that happens, even in the context of a college program, is going to put him through more aggravation than he went through dealing with the J.R. Smith Knicks. Like, you are not going to test this man in a way he hasn't already been tested. So, uh, Speaking of a man who's been tested, <laughs> the Iowa Hawkeyes. <sighs> so, once again, Iowa has an offensive star. You know, Chris Murray has been probably what would you say, like 80, 85% of what Keegan was last year for them. They also got a pretty big step forward from Philip Rebracca as a post scorer. Uh, their problem really is that the supporting cast around them just has not been all that good. Um, and part of that is Pat McCaffrey stepping away from the team midseason due to um, serious anxiety problems. So they find themselves pretty shorthanded. But it's also like, aside from Murray and Rebracca, like Peyton Sanford is a guy who could hit four threes or could miss nine. Uh, and again, recently there's been more of the latter. 
they just don't have that that guy like for when they're best at their very best they always have an outside threat like a Joe Wieskamp for example Sanford has not been that yet still plenty of time left he doesn't seem like a, a draft flight in particular uh but yeah man again this is what you get with teams like Iowa is if their shots are falling, good luck beating them because they're going to get shots. They're going to take shots quickly. Um, and if they're falling, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Um, and if they're not falling, then they can lose at at home to Eastern uh, Eastern Illinois. Yeah, which happened this year. They lost, By far, I mean, I think by the money line, it was it sketched out to like a 37-point iowa line or something like that like one of the worst losses in division one in about 40 years um and you know also had early season losses to nebraska and penn state in there so the what what is this iowa team it's the same thing that most iowa teams have been chris murray is not quite the level of star that his brother or garza were but he's still really darn good he's still a four level scorer who can put 25 or 30 on you on any given night, but the team still does not play a lick of defense. Their fans still complain bitterly about the fact that put that other teams are allowed to touch them without getting called. Um, but yeah, if a few of their players are on at once, they can beat anybody. Um, you know, it's a little, it's obviously a more appealing brand to watch, but fundamentally, uh, it's pretty similar to Iowa football, isn't it? It's just a guy who seems to have unlimited job security that'll win you so many games a year, but will never get you in serious conversations uh, in a way that, and an identity that the fans kind of have no choice but to rally around hmm. because it'll never change. Um, so I, I, I don't need to have watched their whole season to know what they're going to do in the NCAA tournament. They're going to go no further than the round of 32 because the first team that can actually score consistently will beat them by 20. You can say the same thing about virtually every Iowa team in the last five years, at least. Yeah, and in that way, I wouldn't totally fight you on the comparison to football where it's like, yeah, you know, you might be able to win the West with this style of play. That might happen if nobody else gets in your way. And then you're going to go to Indy and it's going to be an absolute bloodbath and that's you know how it's ended up playing out so uh yeah stretch run here michigan state at home this saturday then trip to indiana and then they host nebraska to close out the season none of those are gimmies um iowa is securely in the field even if they lose all three of them and get bounced in their first big 10 tournament game but their seeding could again Lots of teams in the Big Ten you're going to see come out six, seven, eight, nine, ten sorts of seeds, which means a lot of the teams in the conference are going to be playing a one or a two seed in the first weekend. Um, I see this in your in your uh, outline about uh, they're part of this big pack jockeying for position. Now, having just watched the Daytona 500, I'm wondering if there's any way for like somebody at the front of that pack to like hit somebody else, and then everybody <laughs> gets wiped out and everybody misses the tournament. Um. <laughs> I don't think there's any mechanism by which that's possible, but you know, if if they were one second, well, hold on, hold on, let me check. If something. this was NASCAR, these Big Ten teams would definitely do that on the first lap. <sighs> yeah, I don't see. It. I was I was basically looking for a way. So what occurs to me as the team that could cause the big one, so to speak, would be like, does Nebraska have any games left against teams? on that line between 
either the single or double buy or between the single buy and not getting one and they don't they play no. illinois right nebraska no they have oh. minnesota msu and iowa left uh, um, Minnesota's at the very bottom. MSU and Iowa is securely in the single buy. Um, yeah, so I, I don't see a direct way for us to get that kind of comparison. It was a stretch analogy to begin with. Um, so we'll continue on here. Maryland, an 8 and 0 start. A little bit surprising. Got them well into the rankings. Proved a little bit deceptive after the schedule firmed up as they then went out streak losing 5 out of 7. Although that did include Tennessee and UCLA. Um, first year of Kevin Willard, he went and picked up Jameer Young to give him basically all the minutes at the point guard. There was not a point guard on this team coming in. So Jameer Young has been excellent for them in that role. I think from, where did they get him? Was it either Georgetown or Rhode Island? Somewhere on the East Coast, if I remember right. Um, did inherit a couple of decent front court players, Dante Scott and Julian Reese, Hakeem Hart on the wing. Um. But the thing is, there's a there's a real lack of shooting. Um, Hakeem Hart's the only credible volume shooter, and if he's not on, then all you have to do is keep Young out of the lane. You know, can timely doubles on Scott and Reese, and you can handle this team. Um, they've got some pretty good players that have carried over, but it's still a, a shallow lineup. Um, Willard's coaching has kept them balanced though. And it's let them win you know, more games than I would have thought in year one, um, securely in the tournament field. And again, this coaching performance in year one, I frankly expected Willard to require some time because if you just, I mean, his previous stop at Seton hall, they had some really difficult years, his first few seasons and sort of a slow build. Um, I have to expect that this puts them a little bit ahead of schedule. Uh, can't really predict them to go especially far in the tournament. Um, but again, you know, Jameer Young is a guy who can, a guard who can score you 20 to 30. Um, Hakeem Hart likewise can shoot the lights out in a given game. So they have individual players that could get them past a tournament opponent. It would all depend on seeding, where the game is, and who their opponents end up being that first week of the year. Or first week yeah. of the tournament, rather. Mark Turgeon missed the tournament with more talent than Kevin Willard has right now. Uh, that's certainly one thing we can say about year one. And I'm going to do another meeting. Ours is out. Sure. Moving on. It's so, your team. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Michigan State stop Spartans. Me if you've heard, <laughs> stop me if you've heard this before. Tom Izzo scheduled his team, honestly, an unfairly difficult non-conference schedule. Uh, as I complained about bitterly all offseason, this team needed another body, and he did not go and get one. And then they sustained early season injuries to Jaden Akins and Malik Hall that left them so shorthanded that they lost a couple games. They pro- So, all right, the Gonzaga game, that probably was a coin flip. They could have won or lost that anyway, and they still had all their players then. But... They played close enough with Alabama that if they had had one more body, they very well might have won that game. And then missing both of those guys, they took a loss to Notre Dame. That's probably going to end up bumping them down a full seed line in the tournament. Um, wins over Villanova and Kentucky have not held their the value that they usually would over the course of the season. And the season has left me wanting in a lot of ways. Um, 
I did not have expectations that they would actually win much this year. I did not view this as a Big Ten champion team or a team that was especially likely to make a run to a Final Four or anything. But because of this recruiting class they have coming in next year, which is supposed to be basically like what Illinois' class this year was, like that level of talent, there are enough guys that have eligibility coming back next year that could come back next year. It's like, all right, if we look like a team that just needs a little bit more juice, then we might have something here. It might be worth watching a team that struggles and doesn't necessarily win anything. Um, I just, I'm not quite sold on that. There have been some big moments from a Tyson Walker, like we saw um, having a huge game to beat Indiana at home. Joey Hauser has been fantastic. Pretty consistently MSU's best player. AJ Hogard's had big individual games. None of them has put it together on a night-to-night basis. I mean, Hauser really has. I don't. You could not ask a whole lot more from him than he's been giving them. Which, by the way, I'm so happy that he has forced me to come all the way around on him because, I, I, like, it was miserable watching the guy play, and you could tell it was, he was not enjoying it either. So, I'm very glad that he has come full redemption arc i hope he takes his COVID year because i don't know what his nba stock is necessarily still not that great of an athlete um but anyway tyson walker guys have been has some gohan going on because like last year i think he scored like 26 points in the second half against us after doing nothing the whole first half against illinois um he he just has this thing i assume he then passed out afterwards or something like that and then like (laughs) <laughs> had no memory of having this power. Uh, it, it 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 must be awakened. It's yeah. I mean, if they could get him to consistently play like that, they wouldn't still have him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's consistency has been the story of the season. Uh, they have really struggled to handle opposing big men because, frankly, Mati Sissoko has not. I mean, he's better than he was the last couple of years, and they needed him to be because they didn't have any experience at the five. Uh, but the reluctance to play the two freshmen they have, who have looked very good when they've gotten their chance, and to stick instead with Sissoko, who offers nothing on the offensive end, and pretty consistently gets manhandled defensively too. Um, and then you add that to the fact that this is one of the poorer rebounding teams that MSU has had in recent years. I mean, that's the reason they lost the game against Michigan. They were the better team for probably 35 minutes, but because they didn't have an answer for Juwan Howard playing two bigs at once, they couldn't get a rebound down the stretch, and Michigan got too many extra possessions on them and ended up pulling away. So um, it's a team with serious weaknesses. I don't know that a super talented freshman class is going to add a whole lot. Uh, the whole tenor of the season, of course, changed a little over a week ago with a mass shooting on the campus. And so now, because nobody knows how to process these things, um, the team ends up being this thing that we talk about when you talk about what it's what how people at Michigan State get past this. And, of course, <laughs> they don't. It's a thing they live with for the rest of forever. Uh but because of that, it's now like, it, what What do you really expect from these guys the rest of the year? I mean, it, it the schedule they have now, they've, so they've been terrible on the road. Two of their last three regular season games are on the road. Um, they could have a makeup with Minnesota jammed in there somewhere, but it's unlikely. And then senior days against Ohio State, short of losing out and then losing the first game of the 
conference tournament. I don't think they're in any serious tournament jeopardy, but they probably end up on like an eight or a nine seed, and then they get sent home the first weekend of the tournament again. Um, it'll be three years in a row when they're not a serious threat to win anything of note. Um, but because of the external context, it's it's hard to get too upset about it, man. I uh, It's been a while since I have checked out this completely on a season i still like the games are still on for the most part when they're playing but i i'm looking but i'm not watching if that makes sense yeah yeah I've, I've, well yeah i mean uh, a lot of the first couple seasons that we were uh, doing the podcast for football that was a lot of illinois for me um just you know do my laundry uh <laughs> so yeah i i think michigan state beats unc in an 8-9 game and of course then the media declares it is season because he just beat north carolina in the ncaa tournament <laughs> now look at what a yeah, look at what a narrative good. that is and then and then they i think they they put up a really valiant effort where uh again is season is discussed ad nauseum and and then like fall to a one seed by single digits. You you know you know that's happening. You'll probably yeah. I mean, and if that happens, you'll also get the graphic where like it you know, it'll be in the post. They'll put you know go to Izzo in the shots of the post game handshake line. It'll be like Michigan State first team to beat Duke Villanova or beat Kentucky Villanova and North Carolina in the same season ever. Like it'll <laughs> yeah like that. Or it's like yeah, those two teams are all having like their worst seasons in the last thirty years or something like that. But sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's I'm not totally I'm not totally out of hope that they're gonna get the improvement they need. It, it really depends on what comes back because it you know again to I don't want to harp on this too long. I've mentioned it in the past, but this roster construction thing. So I mean they've got. 10 scholarship players, three of them are freshmen who they barely play, and then a fourth of those guys is Pierre Brooks, who's a sophomore wing that has had serious shooting struggles for, like, most of the season now. But he also, like, he's a, he's scratched half the time, and when he does play, it's like five minutes. It's like, well, he's never going to get out of his slump if you don't let the guy play some. And it would not surprise me at all if he left. Like, he's he's a very talented player. He was a Mr. Basketball, scored, like, 33 points a game as a senior. Like, this guy can play, but he doesn't. And they've, they've so often looked like they have run out of gas because they're playing Hogard and Walker and Aikens, like, 30-something minutes a game because they don't have any depth because they don't play a couple of guys who they, and it gets, it's just like, somebody's got to be in the doghouse. I understand that, but uh, it, it's just always something with this team recently. There's always some little reason. Uh, and I understand at this point, the body of work is unimpeachable, but I wondered, but after last off season, you know, have we really, have we seen the last Grand huzzah from Tom Izzo as Michigan State basketball coach. My answer then was yes. My answer for a couple of years has been yes. I have not seen anything this season that would change my mind. Um, all right, so we touched on Michigan in that last segment, but we'll turn our attention now fully to the Michigan Wolverines, where this pretty early on became a sim to end of season kind of thing. Um, a couple of quirky things in the offseason. So they went shopping in the transfer portal as they have the last couple of years and brought in Jalen Llewellyn as a grad transfer. That then prompted Frankie Collins, who was going to be 
their starting point guard to transfer. And then pretty early on in the year, Jalen Llewellyn gets hurt. He's knocked out for the season, so now their entire point guard room is like five foot eight freshman Doug McDaniel. And I say five foot eight, that might be stretching it a little bit. Um, they've been forced to use Kobe Bufkin as a point guard sometimes. He has been an underrated, so I mean, I don't consume like conference level media as much as I probably should considering what we're doing here. But I don't think Kobe Bufkin is getting anywhere near the amount of love that he deserves for the jump he's taken as a sophomore. And he's done better over he's... the course of the season, but he wasn't getting playing time early. Bufkin? I, they were playing him. They, they haven't had much choice. Um, maybe at like the very beginning when Llewellyn was still healthy, they might not have had him out there as much. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, um, so much of... <clears throat> So so much of what you know you talk about for conference awards starts in the preseason, and then it gets uh, people either just discard their takes entirely or rally around them in like the first meaningful non-conference game. Yeah, and I and I understand that he's on a teammate. He's got a, a teammate who has been an All-American level of player and is also a loudmouth in Hunter Dickinson. So a lot of the oxygen and. <laughs> every sense of the word is going to go to him. And then there's also, you know, Jed Howard, who is his father's son um, and comes in as an all, I think he's a McDonald's All-American, but if he's not, he's pretty close. Um, And he's lived up to the billing. So it's like they have other talented players around him. Um, But again, lacking any kind of experience at the point, it's just been like they played a really difficult non-conference as well. But they didn't win any of those games. They lost to Virginia, lost to Kentucky, North, lost to North Carolina, and then had a loss to Central Michigan that, if not for Iowa's thing with Eastern Illinois, would be the most humiliating moment in the conference this season. You know, um, I've, I've come full circle on Hunter Dickinson in one way. I appreciate how he tries to entertain us all. Uh, and I, I also too. appreciate yeah, I, yeah, that awesome. even though he, kept, he keeps getting made to, to <laughs> eat it, he will not back down. I actually appreciate that a lot <laughs> because yeah, he, most like, people I, he would not be log humbled. off. Most people would log off, but he is not logged off. He will never log off. Again, that um, makes him like Kevin Durant. Yeah, given where they are now, they probably need a sweep of what they have left on the schedule, which is not not easy. It's <laughs> at Rutgers, Wisconsin at home. That's a, that should be a W, and then road trips to a Illinois. A team that to, Juwan Howard yeah. has never beaten. Yeah. Yeah, and that would, I mean, short of maybe, you know, if they get, if they go two and two there and, like, go to the Big Ten tournament semifinals, like, we, they have gotten very favorable seeding seed, placing the last couple years, so they seem to get the sort of deference that, frankly, they don't exactly deserve, but Remember when anyway. the whole John Gross era was always the noon game on Thursday was an 8-9 between Illinois and Michigan? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. I don't know why you brought that up, but yeah. So, and we always lost. Anyway. Speaking yeah. of always uh, losing, so, the Minnesota Golden yeah. Gophers. Hoo-wee. Uh I don't think I thought... I, I, I don't think I thought... I don't recall expecting Minnesota to be especially good this year. I don't think I didn't think they were going to be this bad. They basically though. switched uh, places with Nebraska because Nebraska's having the kind of season we expected for Minnesota. Nebraska was just kind of a thing where we throw our hands up and say, "I have no idea. This is uncharted waters, yeah. right?" But uh, yeah, yeah, Minnesota's the clear-cut worst team in the conference um, by a pretty wide. There's, there's always like, every year. There's one of these teams, right? That's just 
Oh, you're yeah, bad, like, bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, like they did not challenge themselves in their non-conference, but they've, I mean, they've got losses to DePaul and UNLV and Virginia Tech narrowly escaped losses against Western Michigan and Cal Baptist and Chicago state, which would have been an even worse loss than the Eastern Illinois, Iowa thing. Um, if you're looking for bright spots, you know, they got Dawson Garcia over from North Carolina. He's been their best player instantly. Top scorer and rebounder. Jamison battle is still a capable kind of swing forward. <laughs> still, yep. We were watching, uh, we had the Minnesota game on this. I don't know. I needed something to do. While I was doing my laundry and, uh, my wife is like, wasn't there another guy named Battle that uh, played in the Big Ten like a, a few years? Like, and I was like, oh, are you thinking of Taylor Battle? Because like that was that was <laughs> like when I was in college years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there was there was Kenny Battle who played for the Flying Illini. You might have heard me talk about him. Uh, and I, I ultimately concluded, no, she was thinking of the same Jamison Battle from a number of years ago. Well, he hasn't been, I mean, he hasn't been at Minnesota that long. It's only his second year there. Um, but in any case, those two guys, Taylor Cooper from Moorhead State coming in at the point guard has been solid for them, but they just don't have a whole lot beyond them on the roster. They're giving heavy minutes to four freshmen who are kind of like lightly recruited, plainly with the idea that they're going to develop into significant players. So, I mean, Ben Johnson has staked his tenure essentially on the idea that these guys they're playing a lot of minutes to are going to develop into excellent players. He kind of needs them as sophomores, but certainly by the time they're upperclassmen, um, counting on them being very, very good players. The the, the thing is about when you have your low-level guys and you want to get them a lot of experience points is that you have to beat some teams. You have to beat some, some characters in order to get those large amounts of XP and level up your guys fast. Yeah, like, it's it's okay to put Magikarp at the top of your lineup for every battle to try to level it up, but you gotta switch it out and then throw, like, your starter in to knock out whatever you're fighting so that you actually win and get some experience that way, like... Um, so, yeah, yeah, there, no, there's... I mean, I mean, all we're talking about at this point is the future, <laughs> and I think, realistically, he it's gotta be a, a, a massive step up from here. I don't know... I don't think you have to make the tournament in year three, but you gotta win more games than you lose. Yes, and they, Ben Johnson has shown a little bit of proficiency in working the portal. They're definitely going to need at least a couple more starter caliber players next year. So I can't say for sure that this whole thing is doomed, but like this, boy, a a down-to-the-studs rebuild in the transfer portal era, that is something that's difficult to pull off because you're going to lose fan support quickly, when they look around and say, well, like Penn State grabbed a bunch of transfers and they're at least fun to yeah. watch. Like, why aren't we doing something like, you know, exactly. And so, you know, uh, I mean, we've seen again, it's year three. It's, or it's year two. We've seen folks come back from worse. Uh, we've seen, I mean, we had a. Well, I mean, Fred Hoiberg may be about to pull off the most impressive career save that we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got let's all right, full steam ahead. We still got yeah. half the conference. Fred Hoiberg, Nebraska. Maybe the worm has finally turned on the Cornhuskers. I mean, earlier this season they looked to be in mortal peril because again, like we talked in the past ad nauseum, like you, <laughs> how many coaching tenures start off with the kind of winning percentage that he had over the number of games that had gone by and then end up turning it around? Like the answer is none. We couldn't think of any, and we tried. 
uh, and earlier this season, like they really were riding the struggle bus again because they got a they got a uh, uh, <clears throat> they got a few clutch wins down the stretch last season that ultimately didn't mean much, but but made people happy. But on the back of a guy who left. Yes, yeah, Teddy Allen then peaced out, um, and then you know they had Wolf McGowan. Yeah, that, 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 McGowan's this year. They about. bring in, they bring in a bunch of transfers again, um, and things are not going well. And then a couple of them got hurt. They had Juwan Gary get hurt. Emmanuel Van Dumel got hurt, um, and somehow they cut. They had come out on the other side of it better because they're forced to give a bigger role to Casey Tomonaga, and the guy is just like, I, I mean. Throws up absolute junk shots, but so many of them go in. I absolutely love it. And I also love, I don't know if you've noticed this, in basically every Nebraska game where he hits more than a couple of shots, one of the announcers will just mention, gosh, you know, we kind of get the impression that maybe the other team doesn't really respect Kese Tomonaga. doesn't think he's much of a player. And it's like, uh, huh, how many other Korean players are out here? I wonder if that maybe is... Like, they don't say it, but they're sure implying, like, none of these guys think this Korean dude can play. Uh, and then he just he pulls is up he and Korean? hits That's a pretty Japanese name. Oh, no, yeah. you're right. He is Japanese, yes. I'm sorry about that. Um, God, what, that's a... I put my foot in that one. Um, <laughs> eh. I think that I think that gets the vibe across, though. Yeah. Because even I, plainly, I don't respect him either, if I think if I forgot what his nationality is. So, yeah. Um, as we sit here, the Huskers have won four out of their last five. That includes a stunning victory at Rutgers, which sincerely has become a difficult place to play. So they now, with 14 wins and three games left to play, every win is a new high watermark. And, man, I <laughs> I think it was you I was talking with a few weeks ago. I don't remember what game it was. It might have been that Rutgers game, but Nebraska was closing out the win, and... I think it was Revson, but I don't remember who. Whoever was covering the game uh, drops this gem of a line in there and just says, <laughs> as the clock is ticking, the last seconds are ticking down, it just says, and for the first time in the Fred Hoiberg era, Nebraska wins 11. <laughs> oh, my yep. God. You cannot make it sound like they just locked up a conference title when they won 11 games in February. Like, it was just... <laughs> Uh, I particularly enjoyed it. But anyway, um, insofar as Hoiberg's style of ball represents a departure from the absolute slog that is most Big Ten basketball, I have, generally speaking, been rooting for his success. Not unlike Jeff Brom at Purdue in football that way, where I'm like, no, I don't especially care for the school one way or another, but I just want to watch interesting content if my team is not involved. And Coaches who play more interesting, appealing styles, I want to see them succeed. So I think it's probably safe to say that he has earned himself another year. I don't know how you fire a guy after his most successful season by a considerable mark. Um, and again, he's it also helps that he's a favorite son. Like, if you're going to fire this guy after this trajectory, who are you going to convince to come in here and do a better job? So... Down the stretch, they have games against Minnesota and Michigan State at home, both very winnable, and then a road trip to Iowa that would probably be a little bit tougher. Not a good enough record to get even the NIT, I would not think. But assuming they can hold this team together, they might finally have something cooking here. You know, first off, a more astute observation on Tominaga from the, the announcing crew would have been, you know, there's about five times as, m as many manga about volleyball in Japan as there are about basketball. <laughs> which is which is roughly speaking true uh but 
Anyway, this this is the kind of jump that Ben Johnson needs to have next year. Maybe it doesn't need to oh, be yeah. a tournament, yeah. but it needs to be this. But hey, the Huskers are at 500 <sighs> as we speak. So who knows? I do not want to play them in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, uh, speaking of teams you don't want to play in the Big Ten tournament and of coaches who are not dead just yet, the other coach who was presumably How about a team I don't want to play tonight? Year, there's almost an entire hour until that has to happen. That's way off in the oh, future. I need to Northwestern dealing now with the fact that it is the year. I mean, Wildcat, if you're listening, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to make you say it. I'm going to make you look me in the eyes. As you, as you, through your haze of fatigue between your job in academia and your own baby, it is the year, and I want to hear that dirty little mouth admit it. Road wins early on over Michigan State and Indiana. A home win against Illinois. Could get the sweep there tonight. Um, a near upset over Auburn in the non-conference. A resume that really, like, the only, like, pimple on this is they lost to Pitt again. And I don't know how they end up playing Pitt every year, but they lose to them every year. Um... Northwestern so, lost you know. a game where I was rooting for them to win against Auburn. So, like, they've already pissed me off pretty substantially. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I know well, M.N. Wildcat is probably going to listen to this at some point. So, I, I must say this to soothe his soul. Uh, Chris Collins will be the coach at Northwestern forever. He is... He has just taken them to their second NCAA tournament ever. And he took them to the first. So it doesn't matter what he did in between those tournament runs. But man, talk about addition by subtraction. They lost. So Pete Nance and Ryan Young left this program to go to North Carolina and Duke. And this team is way better without those guys. I mean, like, go figure it. It, for one thing, it shortens their lineups. It, it does not really give them a whole lot of options to screw around. They basically have to play Robbie Barron and Matt Nicholson on the interior huge minutes. Um, and it also has allowed them to focus the offense in the hands of Bowie and Audige, who can be very inefficient at times, but are also definitely their highest ceiling offensive players. And, you know, you were left wondering for several years, like, is Pete Nance ever going to put it all together? And the answer was no. And now you don't have to wait another year for him to do that and stumble along in the mid to bottom range of the conference. So they've won their only head to head matchup with Purdue already. And that means if the boilers stumble and the records end up tied, Northwestern gets that top seed in the big 10 tournament. How about that? Well, you remember Um, what happened the last time we allowed a a team in the greater Chicagoland Metro area to, to break a streak of over a hundred years without an unprecedented title. That was 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series. So this Northwestern team combines everything that I uh, combines two things that I hate: Northwestern and Duke in Chris Collins. Um, <laughs> so, in other words, imagine imagine well, I... that I'm barfing uh, with every single word here. But somehow this team got enough experience to become good, even as players continue to leave. Adish has been. Mostly good, though occasionally hilarious. Um, Boo Booey is one of those players that people have been saying, like, oh boy, he's he's going to be really good someday. And he gets it all, you know, this is a flash of really, you know, some potential Speak here, right? Speak for yourself. He's been dropping 20-something on Michigan State for like eight consecutive years right now. Well, when he look, gets as far together, as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm taking Jalen Piggott over Victor Wembanyama as far as what he's done to Illinois. 
<laughs> I mean that they just, dude yeah, in that yeah, game yeah. like they showed a close up of him and his eyes were just glowing white. There were no pupils. Uh, so this could uh, forcing big men to pass out of the post is a pretty good strategy in the Big Ten if you can pull it off. Uh, yeah, because most of them, even Edie, as long as you don't let him look his pass recipient in the eyes it's not that hard to break it up yeah it so i don't know why that's so hard to figure out looking at certain coaches about that um but they're firmly in the tournament probably something like a five or a six seed like they've floated in and out of the rankings maybe a seven but i think a little higher than that probably win their first game you know the a friendly enough bracket could see them in the sweet 16 for the first time ever hard to call the season anything but a huge success again for another coach who is very much on the hot seat coming in, you know, season. because I'm not a misogynist, I will say this: this is this is an acceptable price to pay for Illinois to suddenly have a women's basketball program out of nowhere. If if this is the price to pay, and also that <laughs> Northwestern is the worst women's team, Northwestern is now Illinois in women's basketball. They they switched. Well, not they didn't switch places because Northwestern wasn't this good, but. I guess if that's the price, I'll accept this. This is a team that could make a Sweet 16 run. I'm going to drink some more as we move on to Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, speaking of drinking some more, if you're an Ohio State fan, you made it this far. You knew this was coming. So stop me if you've heard this before. Chris Holtman had a team that looked awesome in the non-conference, and then the calendar turned to January, and they start playing Big Ten opponents, and everything turns to shit. Um this is a pretty young team, and some comments from both the coach and the athletic director have reflected that uh, we didn't really expect to be good this year, so nobody's job is in any danger. The problem, though, is because of off-season transfers out, Chris Holtman once again had to bring three transfers in. Those guys are not offering them much. His own upperclassmen, other than Justice Suing and Zed Key, are not offering them much. And that means they need big contributions from a freshman class. And it's a good thing Bryce Sensabaugh has been way better than anyone thought he would be. But he's also hit a freshman wall pretty hard the last couple of weeks. I say that he's having a pretty good game as we're speaking here against Penn State. He's got 20 points on 8 of shoot, 13 shooting with a couple minutes left. But Ohio State is losing that game. The degenerate so, in me is very happy because I, I couldn't understand why Ohio State was favored. Especially against... Penn State team that I don't understand how they've lost this many games. But back to Ohio State, uh, this is just things have really fallen apart for them. Uh, You know, not having the Z key available has made typing difficult. Um, And the thing is, Chris Holtman has won consistently in the regular season. This would be his, this is probably going to be his first season without 20 plus wins. So. I know it's Ohio State, but I don't think he's in any danger. Plus, at least now he can't lose to a horrendously underseeded team. Not 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 horrendously yeah, underseeded, just uh, with a huge difference. He can't lose a two fifteen game. That's right. Yeah, that's technically true. Technically true. They will not be upset this year. Um, but yeah, man. So depending on what I mean. If Bryce Sensabaugh decides to come back for a sophomore season, which I think would be a terrible choice because I think he's probably a raw, he's probably a lottery pick, but if he comes back, they had better make a meteoric jump next year. But even if he doesn't, they're going to need really substantial improvement from their other freshmen, and their freshmen have all looked pretty good. Bruce Thornton, um, Roddy Gale Jr., and Felix Okpara have all looked pretty good 
at times, especially Thornton. Um, I think, by the way, he could end up being a like conference player of the year type of candidate next year if they get their transfers right around him because they're going to need more from a couple of transfers next year because they've had such a terrible time in retaining the guys that they have recruited themselves. So, yeah, they're certainly not going to make any kind of postseason tournament this year. They're now basically playing out the string they've been giving big minutes to freshmen all year, but today they started those four freshmen I mentioned plus Justice Suing. So plainly their entire program arc at this point is about getting everything out of those freshmen. I love can. that for one final year, Suing got to match up against a lawyer. Well, hold on a second here. You say one final year. I need to check something here because I'm pretty sure Justice Suing can come back if he feels mm. like it. Well... For at least one more year, then? Uh, it would depend on whether he would get a me- he would have to get a medical red shirt for last year. Um, but I have to assume he would because he only played in two games. So, moving on, do you remember how in the 90s there was an NBA player named Chuck Person? Which yes, really implies that he's just a person that chucks up shots. Or that, he's a pr- or that he throws people. That's, that that's what he that's does. That's true. That, Either yeah. one of these would be true about Penn State. If they were yeah, a 90s NBA player, they wins. would be Chuck Person. And I meant to check on this because, like I said, I, I did this outline a long time ago. When I did it, which was January 11th, um, Penn State had already set their single-game program records for three-point makes, numbers one, two, and three. They, so... The three single games with the most three points, three pointers made in a game were all this season before January 11th, and they've had a couple of good shooting games since then too. Um, they went out and picked out a couple more transfers that has given them an incredible amount of experience for college hoops. Um, they had five guys on their roster who have scored a thousand points. You don't get that kind of experience in college basketball. It's normally impossible. And when you can go out and get transfers for a year, it becomes much easier. But they've also basically, they most of the time are running a lineup without a true big. That poses matchup problems in both directions. Like, you can get anything you want on the interior most of the time. But you also have to have your center guard somebody who's going to be standing on the three-point line. So... Well, I never want to see this Penn State team again. Holy shit. They thoroughly annihilated the Illini both times. Um, well, unless you pl- unless you play them in the Big Ten tournament, you're not gonna. Because remember, um, the function one function of having all that experience is next year it's gonna be a yeah, really different is, team. That is the problem. But what's cool about this is that we can give you live updates on <laughs> Penn State's uh, you know bubble status because it dies if lead they lead over Ohio State with 30 seconds left. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware it was. Uh... Yeah, it was a 6:30 game, wasn't it? Yep. All right, so so we'll keep I'll keep refreshing here, but this is also the part of the game that's going to take an eternity. So yeah, so uh, who knows? Penn State is one of those teams that could squeak into the tournament and get to the Sweet Sixteen if somebody you know powers up, goes Super Saiyan, etc., just goes unconscious. Yeah. So can't lose this game. Cannot lose to Ohio yep. State. Lose this game in your absolutely. Out, so uh, Purdue. So. Zach Eady really buttoned some things up and uh, now appears to be a lock for player of the year. 
Uh, he certainly in the conference and possibly now. He seems to. I mean, it's amazing that Purdue keeps getting guys this huge, and that somehow after all the guys this huge they've produced, this seems to be the most effective one they've had. He is also the very biggest. That is true. Had. I mean, they've had our seven. Fun, but what is so what's different I about guess... him is. Um, I don't know if this is different from all of them, but what's different about him and a lot of guys that big is he has basically optimized enormous tower man defense in that, you know, he he's he's good at coming over for help, but he also he gets vertical. He does not foul very often. He doesn't he doesn't yeah. jump for yeah. blocks. He you know, he can I mean, he's so huge that it's not like he has to move very far to be able to box to, you know, to be able to significantly obstruct people so he doesn't he doesn't get there late and uh you know get you know uh pick up fouls like that so yeah well, i mean it also helps when you get away with stuff um when you become the star player in a conference not just on your team you get away with stuff and he does that's the thing that concerns me about their postseason fortunes honestly is and it We've gone back and forth with this about our other colleagues here and how much of an advantage or disadvantage Big Ten officiating versus national is. I don't know, man, but there's it's definitely called different in the tournament. You see it all the time. Something that is totally permitted in conference ends up being watched very closely. And with Edie, the thing that I think it could end up being is the moving screen. He commits a ton of them that Big Ten officials just don't seem to be bothered by. But if he sees a different officiating crew in the big dance and they're like, uh, hey, you're not set on any of these screens that you're setting, so I'm going to call you for one, two fouls in the first three minutes, now Purdue's got a problem. Um, he's not the whole story of their team, though. I mean, the reason that they've been as good as they have been is they had two freshman guards, uh, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, who have been ready to start and hold big roles from day one for Matt Painter. So having reliable shooters around him, having guys who can enter the ball to him reliably um, has maximized Edie's impact in a huge way. Um, I mean, he, they almost fit with his style of play better than a guy like Jaden Ivy did uh, where frankly, Edie being on the floor just meant that he was in Jaden Ivy's way a lot of the time. Um, but guys who are more perimeter oriented and more shooting focused guards like lawyer and Smith has been a big help for Edie. Frankly, um, they have, as good a shooting as they did last year, despite losing Sasha Stefanovic. So they're basically a lock for a one seat. They've been head and shoulders, the best team in the conference from a statistical standpoint, they have lost enough games in the league. And that head to head loss with Northwestern means that they could end up seeding a share of the conference title. And they do have a couple of games down the stretch that could be troubling. Although they're both at home, Indiana and Illinois at home sandwiched around a trip to camp or not camp Randall, the Cole center. So, again, all depends on whether or not they're able to continue playing their style of ball in the tournament without any hiccups. By the time this is That's... released, the Northwestern game will be over, so there's no point in asking for your energy like a like a spirit bomb type of thing. But, uh, yeah, <coughs> that, that conference title incursion by Northwestern isn't going to happen if my team has anything to say about it. But yeah. we asked the question. They basically and... clinched a one seed. They're a mortal lock for the Sweet 16. How far can they go, really? And it the the answer is they've been a top five team all year. That means that they have the ability to win it all. 
I don't think they will because it's Matt Painter and it's a tournament. So until he does it, well, and the other thing is, it depends on when they get a referee who doesn't want to see big men dominate the game. That's true. Yeah, Um, and it it inevitably is going to happen. So are those freshmen ready to win a game without Zach Eady playing a big role? Uh, Penn State, Ohio State is final. The Nittany Lions victorious by four. So it's a big, I mean, that's not so much a shot in the arm as like a sigh of relief. Like, all right, we didn't suffer the loss. That certainly would have knocked us out. Well, Big Ten teams have been not only winning machines, but covering machines at home this year. So as we come down the stretch here with the last couple of teams in alphabetical order in the conference, we come to Rutgers, which has now managed to down a number one ranked Purdue in consecutive years, and it means they can at least deal with really super huge guys. Um, returning the defensive player of the year in the conference, Caleb McConnell, um, pretty big steps forward from Cliff Wombrui and Paul Mulcahy, although I don't really like to admit it with that last guy, and also adding a big-time transfer player in Cam Spencer on the wings. Uh, has kept Steve Peichel's rotation pretty deep, pretty rangy, um, and uh, the other handsy defense that tends to reward them more often than not. Um, I honestly think, given how up and down Greg Gard is, that this is probably the actual current wearer of the Bo Ryan crown for most hideous but effective basketball being played in the conference right now. No, there's, there's no question. I mean, I, if anything, they're not quite as bad as last year's team. In my opinion, or maybe I haven't watched enough Gers. I don't know. They're I, pretty great. The, they're, pre- they're pretty great. The, the, the daily, the daily minimum recommended dose of the Gers <laughs> is pretty low, it's, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's like if you look at a if you look at a table of all the minerals that you're supposed to get daily, and you look at a really old one, and there's like an entry for mercury, and it's like, whoa, what? When were we recommending mercury? <laughs> like, how old is this particular periodical? But anyway. Uh, Another team that is securely in the dance, but this offense, they're they're not making it out of the first weekend. Like, there's no way. Any team that can hit a couple of threes is going to beat them. If you get to 60 points, you're going to beat them. Yeah, um, and we talk about Purdue potentially struggling because of uh, officiating that would be unfriendly Ooh to boy. them. Yeah. Who boy. Yeah. Um, when the Gers <clears throat> goes on the road. That said, they could... It's not been as bad as last year with the... With the road splits yeah they could of course one of the reasons it hasn't been as bad is because they lost at home to nebraska recently they could do themselves some favors with a very winnable slate down the stretch michigan at home road games to penn state and minnesota and then northwestern at home to conclude the year i mean they could do us both a favor by beating michigan yeah yeah that i mean beating michigan would pretty much knock the wolverines out of the tournament unless they win the btt but again, like, yeah, this is not a play style that is translated to the tournament in the past, nor do I expect that to be the case. At some point, they have to find a higher offensive ceiling. But I think this is another season where, like, again, it, <laughs> you got to remember where it was that this program came from before Steve Feigl got there. Like, at some point, yes, they need to find more talented offensive players. But it is something to their credit that after losing Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr., that they've still maintained roughly the same level of bad but functional offense. Speaking of bad but functional offense, well, <laughs> bad, yes, functional, not so much. The Wisconsin Badgers. Um, they were a three-point loss to Wake Forest and a one-point loss to Kansas away from a 13-0 and start. 
and now they find themselves shuffling along the bubble's edge like a crab on the beach. Um, we'll start with bright spots. You know, Conor Sagan has been much more ready for action than I would have expected for a skinny freshman without much of a recruiting profile. Um, but his shooting has been absolutely vital for a team that's really struggled to find points. Um, when Tyler Wall is effective, this team can look decent, but Wall has struggled with an injury much of the season. And even when he's been healthy, his efficiency has dropped considerably from past years because he is their top option by some distance. Um, Chucky Hepburn remains too reluctant to shoot. Like I feel like they don't get enough shots for Chucky Hepburn given how effective he is shooting the three. You would think they'd want that to constitute more of their offense, but it doesn't. Um, Wall often ends up, you know, what, you know what this reminds me of is the position they put Tyler Wall in reminds me of what Michigan State did to Aaron Henry a couple years ago, where his overall stats end up sucking because so many offensive possessions, they run whatever set they're running, but somebody does something wrong or somebody isn't fast enough to get in a corner. And so there's like four seconds left on the shot clock and the point guard's like, uh, here, you take it and passes the ball to him. And he's like, uh, well, I have my back to the hoop and I'm 18 feet out on the wing. I guess I'll just d d do a fadeaway turnaround jumper. And yeah, nope, didn't barely drew iron. guess that counts as a miss for me. Uh, that's what Tyler Wall season this year reminds me of. Uh, and that's from a big picture perspective, man. I like they've won two conference titles in the last few years here, but it still feels like I have no idea if this program is actually any good under Greg Gard or not. <laughs> like it kind of feels like if they hadn't found Johnny Davis, that he would be fired already. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because last year was the season after the mutiny, right? Yeah. Yeah, when he was when yeah. the the mutiny where everyone who could have stayed with extra eligibility did not accept Brad Davison. So we envisioned the meeting where uh, like after all those guys leave and Davison comes into guard's office and like kicks his feet up on his desk. He's like, "Yeah, don't worry, coach. We got this." <laughs> he's just like, "Now I'm picturing it more like a wormtail situation <laughs> with the I mean, I mean, you know, Voldemort is is defeated, but you know, may yet be reincarnated under a slightly different name, Greg Gard. Um, <laughs> so long as his one, the one, the last guy, Brad Davison, didn't rat him out. Yeah. All right. So, so they beat Iowa. Um, that always helps. That'll get you some positive votes of the fan base. They have road trips remaining to Michigan and then Minnesota to end the season. A home game with Purdue in the middle there. They are very much a bubble team. Um, I think they got to win probably two of these three and perhaps a game in the Big Ten tournament to do it. The, they are fortunate that the bubble is pretty weak this year. A um, lot of mediocrity going around. Um, yeah. I, perhaps they end up sneaking in, but if they do, like, who are you going to pick them to win against? Like, they'll pro they would probably win their first game against some low major conference champion and then they would play a better team than them and they would lose. So in that way, very much a big 10 team this year, aren't they? So that takes us through the team by team portion of our hoops review slash preview. I will interrupt you with some trivia from the first game between Illinois and Northwestern. 
And I quote, Illinois really took advantage of the fast break between the fir- during the first game between the schools on March seventeenth or on March seventh, nineteen oh eight, winning eighteen to thirteen. Woo, that's a that is a barn burner, a high scoring affair. I believe that may have been in the era where you had to go up on a ladder and get the ball out of the basket. <laughs> well the clock's still running. <laughs> yeah. So <coughs> good vibes. Indeed. Um, league-wide stories, there have been a number of guards and wing-type players who have been better than expected. Some of them we projected would be good. I mean, Jet Howard and um, Jalen Hood-Scafino had very high recruiting rankings. Other guys had good rankings but have nonetheless outplayed those, thinking of Bryce Sensabaugh in particular, Bruce Thornton. Um, but some underrated guys that have showed up as well. I mean, Jaden Epps was not pegged for a role like this because, of course, the thought was that Sky Clark would be in that role. <laughs> Sky Clark, ironically, the uh, I think he was like the number 11 player in this class. Yeah, just about. Yeah. So I think the, the highest recruited player in this class uh, in the Big Ten Yeah. just kind of pieced out after some deeply unremarkable action. Yeah, and then uh, we mentioned Purdue's guards, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. Um as well as Connor Osegian at Wisconsin. A number of guys that, when we were talking about them in the season previews, mentioned like, oh yeah, you know, this is a guy they're bringing in, like, yeah, probably not going to do much, maybe play seven or eight minutes a game. Uh, but these guys have been essential for their teams. Very different levels of team success, of course. I mean, Smith and Lawyer, again, are playing starter minutes and having large roles for the the outright conference champion, most likely. Um uh, and certainly the best team in the league, regardless of how the standings end up playing out. So all that being said, though, despite having all of these promising young players, it has been a terrible year for offense in the league. Because it's not usually this bad, right? No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, again, nothing's approaching, on a discrete game-to-game basis, nothing's approaching Bo Ryan, Wisconsin. But across all of the teams... It's been pretty bad. Yeah, and again, it, we kept saying in the offseason, anybody could win the Big Ten this year, and that was what we were subtweeting when we said that was a lot of good players left this conference. This could be an adjustment period, and that's been true. It also has to be said, though, and this is kind of a college basketball thing generally, the officiating has been as wildly inconsistent as ever. Um and that has always been my biggest gripe with them is that within a game, you don't have things called the same way from half to half, let alone between yeah, games, let alone over the course of a season. That's always the problem that I have is, is uh, you know, hey, you set the tone early. Okay, we're playing a game this way. I don't like games that are played this way, but if we're playing the game this way, then okay, I understand what the rules of engagement are. And then suddenly... uh you know, with two minutes to go in the Super Bowl, for instance, suddenly we're not playing that game anymore. Yeah, and then it's, and whether you're on the winning or losing end of that, you end up feeling like, why did they change how, like, the players are not able to do what they do to the extent that they could do it because they have now been impaired by the game being called differently. Like, if you are, if you think you're going to be able to get away with something and then. 38 minutes into the game you can't anymore that's a problem um and it's ended up in a horribly unwatchable product on a night tonight basis i mean i've tried to i I've mean try, it, I, it yeah, is, i've always tried to watch a couple other games a week besides my own teams just to keep 
up. It's hard this year, man. The, the teams are not as good as they usually are. That is a big part of it, to be sure. But I just don't know if we've ever seen this level of... Yeah, lots of bad calls. And also just, they got to call it the same way. If you're going to call a hand check, it has to be called all the time. There's so much money in this now. There's just an unreasonable amount of money. If there weren't an unreasonable amount of money, we wouldn't be about to add USC and UCLA yeah. to our Rutgers and Maryland having ass conference. Right. Okay, we can hire full-time professionals. Yeah, the, the drumbeat for professionalizing the refs, I think, is going to continue to grow louder and louder. Um, I'm just concerned that the thing that's ultimately going to break it is going to be in some high-stakes, high-drama, excellently-played tournament game. They're going to have one of these, again amateurs who are traveling all over the country like ridiculous hours and travel itineraries uh ending up blowing a huge call an obvious call and it's going to affect the outcome of a tournament game and then the ncaa is gonna be like all right shit we can't have people complaining to the gambling books about this we'll pay the refs like that's what it's going to take and again very typical of the ncaa to let a problem go as far as they possibly can before begrudgingly accepting the obvious solution so as far as team stories go, let's uh, we'll do these in reverse order. First, we're going to talk about bad vibes. Indiana, the bad vibes are mild. Again, they were supposed to win the conference preseason, but maybe those expectations were just kind of built on, well, we don't know who else is going to be good anyway. Um, Michigan, Iowa, both sustaining injuries that were that they could not that they could not afford basically at that spots that they couldn't. I mean. Iowa ended up getting Chris Murray back, which is why they've kind of put their season back on the rails. But for Michigan, I mean, Jalen Llewellyn was the guy that they could not afford to lose. They would be a better team if Hunter Dickinson had gotten hurt than if Llewellyn had, just because they have other bodies that can do something like what Dickinson does. Um, Penn State should not have lost as many games as they did early in the year. Sure. I mean, I wasn't done with my bad vibes yet, and that Minnesota's rebuild is a lot further away than last year's impressive fight suggested but yes i penn state lost as many games as they did because they don't actually hit as many shots as they did against illinois on a typical night that's how they lost as many games as they did because the downside of chucking shots is the iowa thing if you happen to be missing or if the rims are not of a type that you like you're not gonna score so <laughs> um we'll conclude then our basketball coverage for the evening and for eternity uh, with some good vibes. How about Nebraska getting the Fred Hoiberg era out of the ditch and making some forward progress again? How about Purdue retooling on the fly after losing a top five pick to the NBA draft and a multi-year starter on the wing, picking up a couple of new starters, freshmen, kids nobody believed in, and they're right back on top of the conference. How about Rutgers moving past program foundational cornerstone pieces in uh, Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. losing those guys, and the beat just keeps rolling. It's solid tournament program year in and year out now, even if they're a little tough to watch sometimes when they're trying to put the ball in the little hoobie thing. Um, how about Maryland ahead of schedule in year one? That's signs of progress that maybe you don't have to go through what Kevin Willard did those first couple years at Seton Hall before you're a good team again. And how about the other coach who was on the out, who was on the hot seat, perhaps on the way out when the season started? Northwestern finding themselves back in the tournament picture. I mean, forget in the picture; they're squarely in the middle of the frame. They're going to the Big Dance, second time ever. That's a great story, don't you think, Steve? No, I'm gonna have to. 
I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, sort of disagree with you there. But I could see how I could see how you're, you know, the kind of fan that exists in droves and I don't understand the uh no, I just like to root for good games in the tournament, man. Boy, I love storylines. I've never met anybody like this, but I know that they're out there because NCAA keeps chasing them. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, there's also the unfortunate storyline of, man, we were we were fixing to put together a wrestle cast in, in advance of the, of the uh, Nationals this year, which means that that being killed means we don't get to spend some time talking about, uh, with, with my other wrestling colleagues, the, uh, the absolute superhuman dominance of Spencer Lee. Or the ascendance of Nebraska meme Brock Hardy, whose name contains the phrase rock hard. Well, that's cool, because I, I didn't. <laughs> anyway, as we conclude this final blocking charge cast, all we can say is that, given our history, our track record of overarching predictions and such, and long-term prognostications, there's definitely going to be, like, six... Big 10 teams in the Sweet 16 and Purdue's not going to be one of them. And with that, we bid you a fun farewell. Your source for Big 10 talk, it's off tackle Empire! What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.